0: And welcome back to Fully Equipped, Jay wall RB, Uncle Gene, and Serial Killer. We're in different locales this week. Serial Killer and I are in studio in Scottsdale. Phoenix Open this week. Are you going to go?
1: I've already been. I've been the last couple of days. They have swag head covers. I was, I
0: <laughs> I was going to let you bring that up. You, you did get some swag head covers. To, of
1: course I did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: they dropped them on Instagram, saw that they were there. I was on property <laughs> well, I'm within sure you 20 were. minutes.
0: Do you have the notifications on for anything that they maybe? Okay. All right. Just of wanted, course, I do. Just wanted to double check. What
1: kind of degenerate would it be if I didn't have the notifications on?
2: <laughs> well, you had me- to show up in person to get them. Yeah, they're. Did you not see the pictures? Did you not see? Yeah, I saw the pictures. I didn't understand what the hell they were, but I understood. Was it a scavenger it, it, hunt? Is that what you did? Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, the, the, the scavenger hunt will probably be over the weekend. Oh, okay. <laughs> weekend tickets are sold out, so you know if anybody wants to help me out, I need tickets. I'm pretty sure you could find somebody, maybe in this office, that could get a no, ticket. No, nobody likes me that much to give <laughs> hey, me well. Phoenix Open tickets. All right, here's your general admission, peasant. Oh man. I'm,
0: well. RB's taking a much deserved break from the road after three straight weeks traveling. I'm sure of he's all the
1: weeks to skip.
0: Yeah, this is the weather here has been been pretty crappy. I'm being honest,
1: yeah, it sucked.
0: Yeah, it, 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 last night, and we'll have the interviews at the end of the, this week's episode with Gary Woodland, Ricky Fowler, and Justin. So Cobra had an event on Tuesday night. And dude, it was it, it rained and then it finally stopped and then it was just cold as shit.
1: And I was I, supposed to be there. I'm not upset. Oh, I missed it, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was it was really cold. You you, I mean, they hit some they had some balls, but it was it was cold, miserable. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, that was that's basically the extent of uh, the early part of the week for us. One thing that we didn't talk about last week when we hit end on the pod. Something that maybe somebody on this podcast found out in advance and threw us a bone. TaylorMade and Costco. (laughs) This is going to be an interesting one, boys. So I'm pretty sure if you're listening to this pod, you you know what's going on by now. But just a quick recap. Uh, TaylorMade has filed a lawsuit against Costco and a group by the name of the Southern California Design Company, SCDC who is the the designer of the irons and they are alleging that costco and SEDC infringe on five separate patents and all of them are tied to the multi-material p790 and then there's also and i do want to discuss this as well there's also a a claim of false advertising which which might be the the most interesting are we are we all that surprised that that taylor made is taking costco to court over the the kirkland signature irons no
3: not even a little bit. <clears throat> I'm surprised that it's so public. Like, I mean, <clears throat> obviously any lawsuit can is like becomes in like the public domain of like what what's going on. But the, the fact that it wasn't even like kind of brought up within closed doors because I mean, Costco has been quote like I don't want to use the word. like It's a strong word like attacked or whatever, like accused of things before. Um, and like as far as Titleist is concerned, like they didn't. I don't think it had anything to do with the golf ball at the time. It was their claim that it was like as good as like leading manufacturers, so it was like a misleading advertisement uh, on the box because Titleist claims to be the number like claim number one ball in golf, and so to to kind of like I think that's was that was their like sticking point on that. I mean, I pulled the toe screw out of a Kirkland and I, I very unscientifically poked it, and it seemed bouncy. So I mean, like. Is it urethane? Is it rubber? Like, I don't know what it like actually is. I'm not a, a chemist, but it seems that the only thing this has done is it's brought these irons to light for people even more so than it would have. Because I can, like, as I, I told the story before, we had two sets. I probably should have kept that other one now. I could have cut one in half and made a cool video. But,
0: um, How you cut that in half. <clears throat> you Do you have, you have the capability? So I would have. And...
3: Uh, I would have not used, I mean, there's there's videos of people cutting these things in half. What I would have done was either used a bandsaw because yep. it would it's slower, so it's gonna create less damage it, to the internals, or I would have done it by hand with a metal saw. And to be frank, it would have, wouldn't would have taken like that long. I mean, it would take maybe five, 10 minutes instead of 30 seconds, but you would have created very little damage and you would have created a nice side profile view of like whatever was in there. Um, but I returned these irons to a Costco. And the Costco employees didn't know they existed. They were like, what the heck is this? Right? So like, imagine working at a company that's so big and deals with so many things that you have employees who, and this is like frontline customer service employees who are doing a great job. And they don't know these things exist. They're really excited. And then they're like, hey, I'm going to buy these. These seem like a really good deal. Right? So the people who really knew about them were the nerds, the golf nerds, the sickos, the people who would like love this kind of stuff. And maybe because you couldn't walk into a Costco and buy them all they've kind of done is like brought a lot of attention to it. and you know why they're not taking up market share they're they're I mean they're taking up a little bit they're not it's not they're like they're denting numbers so yeah Gene
2: you know it's interesting um I was just looking at test results of the 790 versus um the uh Kirkland iron and and they're not too far off, which is kind of interesting. Um, there, there are some performance similarities between the two, but in fairness, there's performance similarities between a lot of irons, but it is kind of interesting. Um, kind of like, you know, I I know this comes down to a construction story. Because that's ultimately, is what it's about. Not necessarily a performance story, but they do have kind of CG placements that are um, that are similar from a from a ball speed and a uh, uh, distance perspective. So that is kind of interesting. Yeah, I I kind of
0: go back to what RB said, which is it just adds validity to the Kirkland product you know I mean if 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 TaylorMade's making claims that that it it's sharing a lot of technologies and designs with the P790 I mean if you look at it like let's let's just be golfers here for a second and not be guys on a podcast if you if you were to to see that story and go that's a $500 set of irons versus like what is what does a set of P790s cost I mean, that might make you think. I mean, maybe, maybe, again, in this industry, golfers usually have loyalties. And so you're going to probably have the tailor made guys that would say, I'm never, I would never play Kirkland Iron. Right. But for somebody that's maybe they've been playing their dad's clubs for 30 years.
1: Yeah. Weekend Warriors just getting into the game. Yeah. Don't know the differences between texts and applications. And they go, Hey, this looks similar and reading side by side what the Kirkland offers versus a 790 mean 500 bucks is a lot more palatable than uh, you're looking at 12, 1500, depending upon set makeup and shaft you put together. So it's, yeah, I mean, for the average consumer weekend warrior that doesn't really care about score performance and just wants to go play, that's a lot of iron for the money. Yeah. Well, sure. That was
3: the, that was the response I got. Cause I know we had the kind of the morning that Jonathan, you'd written that article. I had, you know, I grabbed a P790 that I had and I grabbed one of my Kirkland irons and I posted a picture of them side by side. Cause I knew that, you know, I was stirring intentionally stirring the pot and I wanted to see what people would say. So what, what are your thoughts? Like, look at these two irons. What are your thoughts? And a lot of the comments, and I would say that, you know, I have, I have more of like a gear nutty group of people that follow me on Instagram, but what they did was they were like, well, what, what why is this one $500? And why is this, they, they start questioning price, right? And that's like the first, and to Gene's point, like people are not quite, and when you get to that comparison, people are not comparing technology. They don't, at that point, they don't care, right? right. They are comparing that, you know, if, if they are claiming that it's similar, how come they can charge $500 and they have to charge X number of dollars, whatever it happens to be. And I'm not, and let's not forget, I think it was PXG, you know, put brought litigation against Taylor made for their hollow iron and companies go, go the golf industry is full of p- lawyers that just go. Who's getting sued. Th- who's getting sued today. Right? Like, it's just like, that's a dimple pattern. Oh, yeah. That the, shaft uses this material. What this is, is that? Like This is not new. What makes it new because it happened with the Kushnet and Kirkland Costco is that it's Costco. All right. And let's not forget Costco made is, is like a fifth, like a billions and billions and billions and billions of dollar industry like company that has distribution points all over the world. Right. Like that any other company in this, like their stock price is worth 650 dollars dollars something like that. Like it's nuts. The, TaylorMade is like a very small little piece of like what Costco would be. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like it does create a lot of validation. I'm still saying though, like from an engineering perspective, TaylorMade's got a lot of people in the background putting a lot of effort into getting the most out of their golf clubs. Someone else is coming along similar to a lot of direct to consumer companies buying um, open models from foundries over in Asia and putting a brand on it. We see that from a lot of companies. You, got, you could have gone to the PGA show. I should have done this found the booth of these people from a factory over there. And they're legitimate business people. And they're like, hey, you got enough money? You want to put your brand on this hollow body iron and sell it for 400 bucks? We will drop ship this from wherever you want all over the world. And that happens all the time. So I can understand why TaylorMade is like saying, look, guys, we invest a lot of money in doing this construction. Like maybe not, but one way or the other, I think it's it, um, it just brings more attention to the Kirkland product than
1: anything else. Costco had an issue, if I remember correctly, uh, distribution with Benartie putters too, didn't it? They?
0: Yeah, they've had. In I don't know, there was there was talk that Trixon had irons that were the Z series
3: in Canada. In Canada, yeah, there was a there was yeah. a, a a new Costco that opened up north of Toronto, and they had I think it was seven ninety nine or six seven ninety nine for a set of the ZX fives stock irons. And then they had the drivers for three ninety nine, which in Canadian for a Canadian like price point, that is a huge discount versus like we're talking like thirty five percent off of full retail price for continuously new product, like stuff that's not discounted. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's it, this is where, from that perspective, that's where distributors go in and they're like, "Ah, screw it, we got all this inventory, we got to do something with it," um, and they call Costco. But from a from a a, ma- a major OEM perspective they're not selling directly to Costco. those companies aren't but no people get i wouldn't say people get in trouble but you know they're they're looking at books and finding out where this stuff's coming from
0: yeah One, one of the other things that i brought up was this claim of false advertising and taylor bade is claiming that costco falsely advertised the inclusion of an injected urethane insert in its iron and in the complaint, they stated that uh, the defendants were accused of what is it? Uh, the statement by defendants that the accused product contains an injected urethane insert is literally false, or in the alternative, is misleading and on information and belief has actually deceived or has a tend- tendency to deceive consumers in a way that influences purchasing decisions. This is an interesting one because, and I don't, I'm wondering how you all. Are reading this, but if they're making this claim of false advertising that it doesn't include a urethane insert, that would lead me to believe that it's a hollow cavity, that it doesn't have anything. Right. But based on the cutaways, there's something in there. Yep. So what, what is the claim here?
1: Oh, that's, I mean, it begs the question, is it an injected mold or is it something that is put in prior to the iron being sealed? No, is it a seeded secondary material that is essentially installed like the tungsten or is it you know in fact injected and that's that's where it's like unless you go to manufacturing i i don't know how you would prove that
0: yeah yeah it's,
3: it's it seems like a it almost that that to me sounds like there it almost when you read the wording of that it almost sounds like TaylorMade is filing this on behalf of customers who feel like they are being misled. And I don't think anyone out there feels like they're being misled for like 500 bucks. Um, And again, to my point, like I've, again, i pulled a little iron apart and poked around and it seems squishy. So like it's either rubber, it's some type of rubberized material. Now maybe because they've cut it and they've looked at it and they're like, it's not urethane. We're going to like go after the fact that it's not like as a compound, not actually urethane. But you know, from a, if you want to say it's a filled iron, it's a filled iron. I don't know, but it's, uh, it's still interesting that that, because that wording makes it sound like they're filing, it's almost like they're filing on behalf of consumers, like they're being
1: misled. But here again, you're just bringing attention to like what they've created. Oh, that, I mean, it kind of begs the question, like, okay, if you take a hollow cavity iron and you fill it with, pick manufacturer, right? Is it a elastomer? Is it a urethane? Is it a rubber? Is it some type of, hybrid composite material that has some pliability like is there still a patent violation if you use a completely different material to fill so that's hollow cavity head that's you just nailed it chris which is that's my question is it is it is this legitimate or not i mean i feel like that would almost be painting any manufacturer into a corner And saying you can't fill a hollow cavity golf club with anything or you're violating our patent.
0: Well, PXG and and TaylorMade, you know, we we probably should, you know, if we're looking at the timeline, they started this whole deal of of going after each other. PXG filed a lawsuit against TaylorMade. They wanted to cease and desist for them to, to stop producing their irons. Right. That was denied. Taylor B. turns around and files a countersuit and eventually they settle. But yeah, this isn't the first time that we've seen that we've huh. seen to go head to head over over this particular type of iron. And look, it it is if you look at the iron landscape, players distance irons are by far the most popular iron out there because oh, sure. they're they're packed with forgiveness. They look like a blade. You can throw them in the bag, and and even if you're not a great golfer, it makes you look like one because of of the design of this club. So they are they're wildly popular, and I think it's just everybody's trying to mark their territory. And I think that's what Taylor TaylorMade's doing. But it does bring up the kind of the way I want to recap this, tie a bow on it. What do we think is going to happen?
2: Oh, settle. So, yeah. You know the the, the yeah. yeah. The, the vagaries of patent law are such that you know it, it ultimately will probably be something that's not disclosed and you know, either either an agreement, a royalty, you know, something. And it just depends on the strength of the case and ultimately, you know, what what Costco decides to do with it.
3: Like, like most lawsuits, the real winner here is the lawyers. those billable hours are not cheap absolutely i'll tell you costco's probably got their own legal team already that like they got a whole room full of them uh dealing with kind of like this kind of stuff all the time i'm sure taylor may's got a nice little room of theirs as well just not as many engineers as they've got lawyers but i'm sure they've got a few um but the real winner here let's all remember is the legal system and the the lawyers so uh, because someone's going to make a lot of money
2: dealing with this junk (laughs) I'll I'll tell you one thing that's kind of interesting in all of this. You know, the greater point being for right around $1,000. If you are a beginning golfer or someone just getting into it and you want to go soup to nuts, Costco, you're getting a pretty amazing deal. Um, I've tested their putters versus a Cameron almost identical on off center hits and performance. I've tested their wedges very, very similar to Vokey wedges. I, we obviously tested their irons and their driver. And while they do have limitations, you know, as, as, uh, as you guys have stated, they're the cheeseburger of the, you know, kind of right in the middle and satisfying. And so for a thousand dollars, you're not going to get custom. You're not going to get, a lot of choices or low spin or draw biased, you know, you're going to get just one offering, but it's, it's a pretty amazing deal to, you know, get some really good performing golf equipment, um, for a fraction of the price. Yeah.
0: And I think that's what payload mates trying to, they're trying to cut them off at the pass but I don't think it's the same customer. It's not the same I mean, customer, but I, I just, I think that they're, maybe they're not viewing it that way. I think they're just trying to look at it as all golfers, not just a specific demo that we sure. were talking about. Um, yeah. But I agree with, with, with what everybody said, they're going to settle. There's no way this. Yeah. It's way too vague. Anyway. Um, as far as gear changes going on this week, it was a very, it's a really quiet week. For, yeah, notice that for equipment changes. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's not, there's not a lot going on. Um, I think the one thing that is very unfortunate, but it became very apparent this week, dude. W- there's just not a lot of juice out there. Like this event used to really, and they're, like the fans are going to show up, and it's going to be rowdy. Oh yeah, but like without having the field. That I mean, there's a lot of guys that left for a live, and I think you, I think you notice it more at events like this, like the bigger, the bigger signature events. I don't know. It's just it. It was just that that feeling that I got where I'm like, yeah, it's it still it still feels like it's going to be a, a great week, but there's
1: just not there's not not the star power like you're used to seeing. I I, I would definitely agree with that as the, walking around the uh, walking around the grounds on. Monday and Tuesday uh, during the practice rounds and some of the lower tier pro-ams, like walking through the range and over on the practice screen and just kind of looking to see who's around. Mm -hmm. And Adam Scott was there yesterday hitting shots, but he's not playing a practice round and he's just here to play the event. But no pro-am, no practice round, just here to play the event. Yeah. And I'm kind of looking up and down the the practice tee. And I'm going, huh? like there's not a lot of people even watching the practice tee, but I go over to 16 and go into our our corporate box. And I 16 was absolutely packed and nobody was watching golf. So I could see Wait, we're uh, here here for golf tournament. Exactly. Oh, this particular event being such the social event that it is, I still think it's going to have record attendance. It's going to have record viewership because everybody wants to see what a train wreck it is yeah. and what's somebody going to do. When's the streaker inevitably come <laughs> running across the fairway and jumping into a lake? As you know, it's going to happen. And I, I think this event is successful because it's just a train wreck. Yeah. It's a party in the middle of a golf tournament. Yeah. So, I mean, you and I could probably go tee it up, get booed and get heckled, but nobody would really know the difference and still get TV coverage and it'd be great. Yeah. I think we should test it. I'll say, might, might, as, well, might as well do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm down. I'll go play in the rain and, you know, <laughs> make an ass out of myself in front of however many hundreds of thousands of people watching. Do you do you think
3: this is because of, like, and like going back to the point of, like, talking about, like, changes. Like, there wasn't, like, even, like, last week at Pebble... Um, there was a few, and I you know, I caught some real good nuggets out there. Um
0: one of them we want to get to, which is on shuffling, by yeah. the way.
3: Yeah, so like like um because of custom fitting now, and because pros are very accustomed to like using something and sticking with it, we don't see a lot of players go back and forth on gear unless they're really searching. And I mean, again, I I talked about this last week. I talked to got the chance very, very quickly. I'm not like, it's not a name drop. It's just the, what it is. And I was, let's say Heath, the guy was out there on like the six hole. And I was like, Hey, you got the new ping driver. And I think I said, did I tell the story last week? If I did then stop me. But, and he was like, no, no, ping nah. doesn't pressure me to like use their, their new gear. So like, I mean, I did switch irons and I won, but like, I haven't hit the new wedges yet. I like the ones I have, but I'll get into them at some point. And it seems like the attitude by a lot of companies now, unless like, Unless you were talking Callaway or TaylorMade, where their guys are out there like hustling to get people into the new drivers, but other than that, like there's not a lot of like movement. And I think it does come down to like information age that we have now that the top players aren't switching as much because they're very comfortable what they're using. And an event like Phoenix or um, like the Honda or the what Cognizant or whatever it is coming up, or the the I know like probably next event I'll be at is probably the players is like those are bigger fields. So you have more of these guys who are kind of searching, starting to like look for stuff, but the top guys aren't changing as much, unless you're Adam Scott and you like iron sets, because in which case that man is crazy, uh, which is fun to watch. But nonetheless, it, it is kind of this like weird scenario now where it's almost like we have so much information that people are more confident in the clubs that they have, which is a great thing for those players. But now we got to like, when you're looking for stories, you got to sit around and search and wait. And I mean, I mean, that, to me, that's kind of what makes the job really fun.
0: Yeah. Well, I did mention Scheffler. He's in the field this week, but RB caught him last week testing putters with Logan Olson. And one thing in particular, and I love this, because I think everybody assumes that tour pros are, are highly technical and that they have all these high-tech gadgets that they're using for, for testing. Chris is shaking his head because he knows that's not the case. <laughs> rb rb caught him doing putter testing and getting impact
3: locations using a dry erase marker i love this rb like so there's there's two parts of this one is like i had the chance to talk to logan a little bit um we didn't get into like too many details on things and he you know he there are certain things you just didn't want to talk about and that's that's fine um but I told him while well, he was, I said, are you waiting for Scotty? And he's like, yeah, I'm waiting for Scotty. I said, cool. Well, I said, just so you know, like once you're on the putting green, like I can, I will take pictures. And he's like, I get that. That's your job. Um, and he respected that and I was fine. So I hung out and I took a crap load of pictures every time a putter came out and he held it up and it was there long enough while they were looking at it. You know, I was in there with my, I don't I don't have telephoto lens. I'm not like a paparazzi, but like, you know, 20, 25, 15 feet away, not disturbing them. I'm taking pictures of everything and you know, it's very clear. You go to Logan's website and you look at the privacy policy and it says TaylorMade made golf company on it. Like, you know, it's pretty clear that they have purchased him or they have, they've hired him and his company or whatever to like make putters for Scotty and other players and consult basically. Um, which makes sense. If he knows how to mill this stuff and he, they have the facilities to do it, he has the facilities to do it. Why not? Why not have someone be able to do that? Um, but yeah, it was like things, Scott, first of all, it's very weird watching Scotty try and like go through this process. Cause it's like painful, like watching, um, as someone who like is very non-technical when it comes to their own putting, you know, as Gene says, it's all between the ears. Um, but he's like, I like the feel and the sound of this one. And I, I don't know. I feel like the, I literally, I heard Scotty Schapler say, you know, I feel like the MOI on this one's a little different. I'm like, Oh my God, man please just stop talking about these things and just hit the middle of the putter face and get it online. Like who is thinking about that stuff? No one else is thinking about it. It's almost like pros are, I know I'm going off on like a tangent here, but it's like, it almost feels like if you give somebody the opportunity to go down this rabbit hole, they are going to screw themselves into this rabbit hole. Right. Whereas you have other players on tour, great putters, And like, I mean, Victor Hovland improved his putting dramatically and he went to the ping putter lab and did all these things. Right. But the guys aren't working with him every week. Like he has his putter. He uses it. Guys walk up to the putters on the tour truck and they grab him and they go, that's cool. And they hit some putts and they're like, can we bend this to lie loft? And then they go out and play. But Scotty's like, what about this one? And this one and alignment? And this one, I'm like, I don't know, guys. Like Logan is a great manufacturer of putters. He is a great uh, machinist. He knows everything that he's doing when it comes to alignment and feel and all these things that they're working on. And he's very good at what he's doing. But it almost feels like, in in many ways, like, no offense, I'm just going to say it, like, TaylorMade feels like they're enabling, and his coach and Kenyon and all these people around him are enabling to go down this, like, rabbit hole. When it's like, dude, just hit some putts. But to watch this, watch the process was fascinating. And yes, using a dry erase marker to look where you're hitting it on the putter face is a great training tool to figure out what alignment aids work for you. Long story short.
0: There we go. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable marking
1: up my putter with a dry erase marker. Yeah, okay. Just take a little acetone, wipe it off. It's fine. wipe it off. You're good. No big deal. Okay, but the maybe not on
3: maybe not on like a soft insert putter like a like a, you know a urethane putter. Yeah, if
1: you're going white hot, that'd be mm, probably probably not the best route to go. mill putter. Yeah, sure, no problem. The to it, kind of why I was shaking my head the the golf IQ of tour pros when it comes to gear and cause and effect like i've been i've been surprised by how (laughs) little some of the guys know and i mean to the point of like i see my target if it starts this direction versus this direction this good this bad yeah i'm going okay well what is it that you you don't like or dislike they can articulate it and That's, that's the dj playbook essentially yeah yeah. I mean, it just is so basic and I mean, it begs the question, like, do you just not know or do you not want to know? Like, do you not want all of those little, uh, inner demons floating around yeah. and making yeah, you go? a good point like, well, I know that I put four grams of hot melt on the toe here, or do you just want me to go, all right, let me tune it. Mm hmm and i'll make all of the tweaks and all of the changes and you know, control the build start to finish to give you the result and you don't need to know the why and a yeah. lot of them don't want to know the why they just want to hit it and go yep that's what i'm looking for done let's move on it's going in the bag
0: yeah Justin uh mentioned that to me in my interview with him i was asking him about like the role that the uh, cobra tour reps ben showman mm-hmm. and james posey play and he's like look uh, he's like i don't know a lot about gear so like those guys, they, they like they tell me what I need, uh-huh. and then I go and hit it, and I'm like, yeah, that looks good. So he's somebody, and I said, so you're telling me you're not a gearhead? And he's like, definitely not, definitely not, definitely not. So,
3: Gene, it, Gene how do you de- how do you handle with analytics on the golf course? How do, do you just tune it out, knowing all your robot stuff?
2: Oh, totally, totally. Go, you got to go play the game. I mean, you know <laughs> what what is nice the one thing that is nice about the robot because we can duplicate any swing flaw is i can tell on the course when i've when i've mishit the ball versus say like a face angle issue and that's really um that's really uh, informative for me so i can figure out what my body is doing so you know if i know i just mishit it but i put a good swing on it then, then, I'm good with that. As opposed, so I can tell just directionally when it leaves what the what the cause and effect is, and that's that's good for kind of self-correction on the golf course. But um, you know, to to your point, I remember talking to a tour rep. This is about five years ago, six years ago. And they were telling me a story about they um it was a shaft company, and they were looking in Jordan Spieth's bag. And his three wood iron, iron three wood shaft was bent. I mean, bent. It was not it was not in line. And they pointed it out, and he's like, "Don't change it. It's working. I want to stick with it." And it's like, no, man, your shaft's bent, but the um the point being these guys are loath to change and rightfully so because the differences are so minute between being a success and being a failure that they don't want to introduce any more variables. And I'm always amazed, especially this time of year, like for example, TaylorMade, man, they, um, uh, they were incredibly successful getting all of their kind of show ponies into the QI 10. And when you look at that list of the players that are playing you know, versus previous generations of the stealth, you know, uh, it, 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 it's nothing short of miraculous that you got that many players to buy into it, which I think is indicative of the overall performance characteristics of the club, which we've commented on, but you know, some of these guys are always looking for something new and are fearless, but a lot of them, they don't want to think about their equipment because, you know, to Chris's point, they just, you know, see ball, hit ball, and, and they're athletes. You, you can't assume them to be physics majors or, you know, understand the intricacies of, of gear. The ones that do are impressive, but for the most part, they go up there and they do what they've been trained to do. And the gear is just an extension of their body. It's not necessarily something that needs to be analyzed, you know, individually. That's... It reminds me, as you say, it reminds me of
3: the video, and I, I don't know if it's been like scrubbed from the internet. I haven't looked it up for a while, but so I think it was someone was interviewing DJ, and it's it's an older video, and he's like, "How do you hit a fade?" and he's like, "I just aim left and I fade it." and It's like, uh, this is an instructional video, DJ. We need a little bit more than that. And he's like, "Uh, I just swing harder." and It's like, cool, <laughs> like, okay, thanks for the time. <laughs> They, I pre- really appreciate that. We're going to get another pro in here to actually explain this. This is just funny because, like, to your point, it is. It's an extension of, like, what they're trying to do, and it's not necessarily something that they really worry about. But that's what that's what Chris comes in. <laughs> guys like Chris come in.
1: Uh, Gene talking about Spieth with the three-wood shaft. That's, I think I was telling you guys I was working with Gary Woodland before he signed with Cobra and pulled Gary's putter out of his bag And just kind of blueprinting his clubs and going through, looking at stuff, measuring stuff, asking questions. What do you like? What do you dislike? If we change anything, what do you want to see different? And I put his putter down on the ground and just kind of eye up the grip. And the grip was twisted two different directions. And when I put it down in the address position, like, it set dead shut. And I hope Gary doesn't listen to this pod. If so, just (laughs) completely black this part out. Don't even think about it. You putt great. Just leave it where it is. But... Without saying anything to him that you know this grip is on crooked and sets your face up just like dead shut, I just go, how you been putting? And he goes, love my putter. Putted great. Led the field in putting last week. Said, perfect. Put the head cover back on. <laughs> didn't say a word. And nor would I. You know, yeah. Player that caliber like, really? Because this is really screwed up and uh no we just let that one slide put the head cover right back on right back in the bag he was hitting his lines he was making putts he was liking the way it felt so i'm like yep it gets the gold star (laughs) good
0: to go yep good to
1: go brother keep on (laughs) trucking that that's where like there is a psychology behind like
3: and uh, again gene's meant to putters but like there's a psychology behind certain pieces of equipment and players like switching stuff like I've got clubs that have grips on them that are a little older, but I just don't want to, I, it sounds silly, but like I don't want to change the grip on it. It's not a putter. It's like a driver or shaft that like I've used in, in multiple drivers and and they don't want to change. Um, and like perfect example, club test, our testing at TaylorMade. Um, Arrow, I believe was the one working with James. James had this old TaylorMade putter. It was like a circa 79 insert putter. It's about 10 years old. And James is a tall dude, <clears throat> pretty good player. And over time, this putter has been bent with extra loft on it. And he didn't over again, over time, didn't really notice it. Right. And Eric was like, You like you like this putter? He's like, Yeah, I really like this putter. Um, do you mind if we like go to the lab and put it on Quintic and go through the process of like, you know, tr- maybe we'll try something else, try a new spider tour, try our milled reserve, all this stuff. And James, is like, I don't have to. So it's like, I do really like this putter. And he goes, okay, well, let's take a look and launching it really high, creating a lot more backspin than it really should. And he's like, well, do you know it's bent? Like there's like six degrees aloft on this putter. It was like six or seven degrees aloft. And, and so that was a perfect example of like, okay, well, you know, let's ask the question first, let's analyze this. And let's see what the players, from a fitting perspective, let's ask the player what's going on. They like the putter, but maybe it's not working that well. Let's diagnose it and give them the information that, they, they, they need to know, not that they need to know all of it. And then let's fix it and see the results. You can always, you know, fix it, fix it back kind of thing. And James was like, no, it was great. Like that was a, that was a big change and it actually helped them. And you saw the results like he's a Quintex. So there is, there's a lot of times where, and no, no, on, on, I, I'm sure he listens, but I like Jack, Jack Hirsch. is one of our writers here at golf.com. Very good player. He's like scratch golfer. Um, he asked me a question about two different golf balls. And he was asking me a couple other questions about like, well, but I I practice with this model golf ball. I don't know if I should switch to this golf ball. Sorry, Jack, I'm just airing your dirty laundry. Um, (laughs) And I said, what if I switched? Should I switch the golf balls that I practiced my short game with? And I said, I'm going to tell you right now, if you walked into my club fitting store and we had this conversation, the moment you leave this store and you're not standing in front of me, I'm going to turn to someone and say, this guy's way too picky and in his own head. And I told him that. And he was like, "You're right. I'm picky," and so like at least he was aware of it. And I told him that right to his face over text. So like there are players who are kind of in that zone where you're like, man, you just need to you need to just hit shots. <laughs> and some players well, do, and some players
2: worry a lot about other things. I, I can tell you a story. This is before uh, adjustable clubs, so the tour reps would have to go and glue, you know, the head up and take it off. So it was a it was a major process and I had a, not gonna name the player, not gonna name the shaft company, but it was a top uh, shaft company. But uh, this tour rep was out with this player who, like RB was saying, was very picky and tip was too stiff. So he'd go back in, set it up, come back out. Tip was too soft. He did this four times. And he knew the differences were so minute that he was adjusting that the, and he was looking at the player and, you know, looking at their numbers and he was like, there's no way that the player can feel this. So finally got to a point, he's like, you know, this just isn't right. I need you to go back one more time. So the guy went back, grabbed a uh, Coke, drank the Coke, sat there, checked his phone, (laughs) gave him the same club back. And he's like, perfect that's it that's the one that i was looking for and he's like great
1: (laughs) i've done that with i've done
2: that in fittings more than i'd care to admit magic wrench
1: wrench, man the magic wrench (laughs) let me just give this one more click (laughs) I'll get the oh, it's close it's close. I'll take the head off, spin the shaft <laughs> around, put it back on the exact same <laughs> setting, tighten it down. <laughs> loosen the weight, move it around, put it back in the exact same setting. Here, let's try this. And then, you know, a couple more shots. That's it. That's what I'm looking for. Perfect. Let's just button that and, up. Oh my god. Yeah, well, to to like
3: to play to play like uh, advocate here. Like, not, and because we're not making, we're not making fun of golfers we're getting fit for. It. No. I'm being serious. I'm not I'm being very serious myself. No, oh, it. it
2: just shows you how hard it is to, to, to really discern what's going on. That's the point. These are some of the best players in the world. The RNA told me a fascinating, um, statistic one time. They have the same players come to their facility in St. Andrews, tour players, mostly European players, year in and year out, and they, they hit shots for them. And, they said their, their Delta or their difference is plus or minus a degree on launch angle. And, you know, for, this is a tour player that one day they're launching at 11, one day they're launching at nine or one year. Uh, but those are big differences and these are tour players when they come in. And, and, yeah. and, and so the, 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 greater point of this is not to goof on these guys, but I think back to what RB was saying in regard to Scheffler Yes. Fitting is critical. Yes. Knowing your equipment, these are all advantages, but there, there comes a point where it's just like, just go play. You can't, you can't go too far down the rabbit hole because if you do it's paralysis through analysis, you end up getting caught in the process and not allowing yourself. And it's, it's the, the beauty of golf is equipment matters, but it is an art science balance. And, and you do need to look at the science and you do need to look at the tech, but at the end of the day, it's an art. And that art is between your ears and how you, um, you know, generate that.
3: Cause the goal, the, the goal, I think, and I, I'm really curious to get your opinion on this Chris is like the goal that I think is like, if I, if I was to do that for a player, I'm already seeing really good numbers and they're just looking for like this one thing. My goal at that point is not to adjust their numbers. My goal is to adjust their mindset unbeknownst to them, right? You're your goal is to give them confidence. Right. So if you say that it does something and, you know, maybe you like put a little piece of lead tape or like whatever it happens to be some minor adjustment where you're not really going to tweak the numbers too much. But from a perception standpoint, that player is going to make a more confident golf swing. That is my goal that it's not to trick the player. It's not to be something silly, but it is to give them that opportunity to hit better shots. And And at the end of the fitting, if that's the if that's what's been achieved, then you've done your job.
1: I 100% agree with that. The, the power of positive reinforcement and just instilling that confidence level is huge. And, I mean, I, I work with a lot of, lot of coaches. And, I mean, the, the magic wrench trick and then also the, the coach uh, in this particular instance. Player was convinced something was wrong. Coach wasn't seeing anything. I wasn't seeing anything. So, coach and I have a little powwow uh, outside of earshot of player, and I did the magic wrench trick. The coach literally shifted his perspective with his iPad and said, "Okay, made a couple changes. Let's try this." And then the coach pulls the video up side by side without changing anything. I didn't change anything in the driver, and coach takes it to the player and go yeah, see, I really like this a lot better now. You're getting into this position. This is working. This is what I'm looking for. This is after. And the player, like, it was like a light switch. And he was like, yeah, I feel that. That's so much better. This is what I'm looking for. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. We didn't do anything. Just provided that positive reinforcement and gave him that confidence. Like, everything you're doing is spot on what we're after. I love that. Yeah. and Uh, I just, I need a magic wrench in my life. And two weeks later, wins on tour. That's like, all we did was take a screw out, put it back and move a couple degrees with an iPad and tell him you're doing a good job. You're doing, and, you're doing great, honey. Yeah, exactly. You're doing a good job. Oh my God. Wins I on tour. Uh, and uh, no bonus, by the way. Uh, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Big, big surprise there. Yeah. Um, all right. So we haven't done the, the full cup hotline in in a bit but we, we've we've been getting some good questions we got to get to some we're gonna keep the the answer short and sweet because I know somebody needs to get out of here very soon he's a prima donna on the show I mean it's
2: I mean it's baby
0: it's just a man in demand yep anyway if you want to leave voicemail for us and please if you haven't before give us a call we are at 602 again that's 602 nine three five four nine seven four and with that coach i think has some voicemails teed up for us so let's let a rip
2: yeah we're gonna go with some quick hitters this week like you said the first one being a question about altitude and adjusting your numbers for that
4: hey guys this is anthony from kentucky again i've got a couple questions my first question has to do with uh, altitude and where you're playing golf uh, is there a standard formula for yardage loss or yardage gain due to altitude? And my second part of my question is, tour pros, do they, how often or how, or do they ever change equipment because of altitude? Thanks.
1: Good question. Yeah, very good question. I Do tour pros uh, change their gear and adjust for... Altitude specifically, uh, not directly from what I've seen. I mean, if anything, it's it's more in scoring clubs than anything else. And I will say that like a, a week like this week or potentially next week at Riv, uh, you'll see players playing more loft off the tee and increasing launch angle and moving that launch window higher because the ground is just saturated and wet. You're not going to get any rolls, so take advantage of higher launch, further carry. I mean, anything you get on the ground in conditions like this is just bonus yardage at this point so max carry is going to be name of the game off the tee uh but i mean as far as altitude goes a standard formula i mean tough to say i mean here in the valley versus going up to flagstaff i mean we're thousands of feet apart as far as elevation goes and I mean, for me it's about a club and a half difference mm-hmm. but as far as like a conversion goes, I mean, RB, are you anything on that?
3: I I actually have a, I'm, I'm trying to find it right now as you guys were talking. Uh, I had written a piece on this. Uh, I believe it's somewhere online um, the, about the, the, the um, change in carry distance naturally based on like thousands of feet up and it's because of lighter air the golf ball doesn't here's the thing the golf ball doesn't spin more or less and that's what you'd often hear in the telecast what Mm -hmm. happens is air resistance acts differently so there's less lift so for the driver to your point some guys will go up and loft to create add extra spin because there's not that resistance from the spin uh and then in the scoring clubs it's all about changing your uh just dialing in your distance your carry distances your whatever it happens to be and that's why you see all these players out there with track because they want to see carry distance and they dial in their distances when they get there in the week. And then they, they're, they're set It's for their uh-huh. caddy. It's for themselves. And that's where you're seeing most of these changes, it's not changing equipment. They're just changing the discussion around, around carry distance. And that's why you see so many of these players use these launch models, especially early in the week. It's like, okay, pitching wedge this week is going five yards further than normal. Um, yep. So yeah. So speaking, I, of, golf, so speaking actually, of golf ball rollback. Everyone just got to go down to sea level.
0: Yeah, there there was That's actually ahead. a story that I wrote a few years back that was talking about uh, how you can calculate like the stated distance versus like what it would be if you were playing, you know, above sea level versus at sea level. Uh, and this was by Title's R and D department, where you. We're taking the the state of distance could be calculated by multiplying the elevation in feet by point zero zero one one six. So basically, for example, if you're playing at Reno, that's one mile. Um, it's at what fifty two eighty. The increase is about six percent. Um, so if you normally drive the ball two fifty at sea level, you're likely going to drive it like two sixty five in Reno. So there there are calculations out there, in and like Ted Scott when he was caddying for Bubba uh, and they play when they played in, in Mexico at a uh, mm-hmm. he was basically saying for their like low shots, they would add 10%. And for when Bubba would just try and like all out, bomb it 15%. Okay. So um, there, there are, again, there are ways to to calculate it if you really want to do that. But yeah, I mean, launch monitors nowadays.
1: And they've got a huge internal barometer. Yes. You can. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Sitting in your living room in an environment you're comfortable with, you can adjust altitude and wind and at temperature, yeah. and it's pretty awesome. Figure out the numbers there, but I mean, ballnamic
0: too. I mean, yeah, the pings pings ball ballnamic. I mean, they have a they have a little feature in there where when you enter your zip code, it'll tell you like what what kind of elevation
1: you're playing at. So if you're playing it in Denver versus you know Dallas,
2: that's cool. You can I, yeah.
1: I didn't know that with uh, with Titleist that they had a formal yeah uh, yep. c- conversion metric that you can you can plug in and calculate what your distance is. Yep. Like, so just yeah, again, multiplying the elevation feet by point zero zero one
0: one six. Anyway, uh, there's
1: engineers out there a lot smarter than myself. Uh-huh. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All
2: right.
0: Next question, Coach.
2: Getting back into the rollback ball debate, the favorite oh, topic of the fully equipped <sighs> Oh. Hey, this is Drew from Seattle. I'm curious what's your thoughts on if
4: the major brands will continue to sell non conforming golf balls
0: to the amateur community that doesn't really
4: care about the golf rollback. Uh, what's your thoughts on if they'll keep manufacturing pro B ones how they are now? And if you want to play in a tournament, you go get the rollback ball. Thanks, guys.
0: Um I'll go first. I don't I don't think that they're gonna keep making the the whatever ball is non-conforming i think it you know if you look at it that creates more skews that they're going to have to keep track of and in this day and age it's all about efficiencies when it comes to products i just i can't see them keeping those those around in addition to whatever the new versions are so that's my way of saying no i don't i don't think they're going to keep the whatever the existing
1: one before the the new rules go into place in 2030. And I would agree. I mean, and I, I kind of have been having this conversation with more and more people as it's becoming a kind of a, a highlight discussion. And I reference it to, I mean, almost like cybersecurity and hackers. And <laughs> it's as soon as a governing body comes out with some new, regulation, security measure, rollback in this case, whatever it is, there are groups of people that now take it as a personal mission to try and find the loopholes and poke holes in it and figure out how to get around it. And between equipment manufacturers and golf ball manufacturers, there's going to be advancements in equipment, face technology, and the arrow story on the golf ball. I I don't really see... I don't think there's going to be a ton of difference that the majority of us in the amateur category are going to see. Yeah. I just really don't. Yeah. I concur. There we go. <laughs> Love that. I that. You know, again, I just,
3: I did, yeah. You concur many, as well? Too many, too many skews. Oh. And most golfers don't have the own loft of their own driver. So trying to have someone walk into a retail store and explain to them, yeah, this is just, a conforming yeah. ball, this is the non conforming ball. No, nah, not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't no,
2: think they're going to make it. The, the, if it does go into effect, the interesting thing about the ruling that I was thinking about, that's really kind of weird is it ultimately penalizes amateur golfers who swing faster than amateur golfers who swing slower. And that's kind of weird that, you know, if somebody's fit and in shape and, you know, like RB with his speed training, the, the faster you get with speed training, the more you get penalized with the, with the potential rollback of a golf ball versus if you get fat like me and out of shape, then the ball doesn't affect you as much. And so it's just, it's a strange ruling in that it, uh, it penalizes the amateur who wants to get better physically and faster versus the amateur that You know, isn't so that that's the part that, um, that I don't quite get because not all amateur golfers swing the same club head speed. So, um, but we shall see.
0: All right. Do we have one more coach? We do. I want, I want out of the golf ball rollback conversation. Give me one of those. I'm out.
2: No, no, we're done with the golf ball rollback and we're on to people with wide feet hey uh calling from washington dc here
1: um i've been really curious why golf shoes do not produce more shoes with the wide toe box you see you know true true links does the, the wide toe box zero drop shoe which is nice but no support is, is is pretty tough and then you see the tiger woods 2013 edition had the toe box the wide toe box with the sort of free technology towards the the forefoot, but why wouldn't Moore do that? I mean, I look at at uh, FootJoy, like if you look at their premiere edition, very tight in the toes. Cannot imagine whose foot fits in there besides someone who's...
0: And we lost them, Coach must have... I'll not- take it. Coach probably didn't listen to this conversation. He probably just... He cut out. <laughs>
3: I'll take it because it's an inter- it is an interesting thing. And I think... Um, he mentioned true links like I'm a big fan of their, sh- I have, I have very wide feet. I was going to um, say, this is like
0: a perfect RB question. Cause I know, yeah, I know it's just, yeah like, right, right
3: in my alley. But, um, yeah. and I, I, I straight up asked a shoe company why they don't make more skews in wide. And they straight up told me they don't sell a lot of them. And we, and that was just, that that's, that literally was like. Listen man, I love the shoes. I love that I got this pair in wide. How come you don't other make other ones in wide? And he goes, we just don't sell that many of them uh relative to like the rest of it. And so that's like I think from a retail perspective, I think that's the case, but I will say as someone with wide feet, um I have tried on the new the new Adidas, it's the, I think it's the MC80, which is like their classic looking one. Straight out of the box, standard style shoe, not a wide, fits me perfect. The new now Puma does, I think it's Alpha Cat I'm terrible with shoe names, but I tried on theirs. They have a wide. It's really good. FootJoy has a bunch of wide options, not necessarily in the premiere. So it's just a matter of finding which one is going to work for you. The reason they don't is because they don't sell as many. That's why you don't see it. Uh, Echo as well. You have, they have like dual insoles in the shoe. So you can actually pop the insole out. It becomes wider and it's still nice and soft. Um, So there, there are options out there. It's, it's kind of like the joke, like, you know, if the shoe fits, like sometimes you got to find, the ones that fit and stick with it. I've been lucky to know there are some models that I've tried on that I don't like because just cause they don't fit my feet. And in the same vein, I'm like a, I'm like a nine wide. I got a 10 and a half of those cool, like Ricky Fowler suede shoes from Puma and not wide. they're just like a standard foot. I wear a 10 and a half in those. Uh, I've been doing them. I've been wearing them in my garage just to like break them in. Cause I was like, Oh, maybe they're not going to be that wide or they're not going to fit. And they actually fit great right out of the box. So I think, this is where I I do believe like the consumer experience when it comes to buying shoes. Unless you find one that you f- like, like example like I have pairs of True Links True Feel, I think it's called. I have like five pairs of those shoes because they just fit. I wear them out. I wear them everywhere. Uh, I wear them day to day, all the time. Drop my kids off to school and going for walks and all those things. And so I know that shoe. I can buy that last. But if if you're looking at other shoes, you got to try them on. And I think that's that's where like the purchasing online is still very difficult for like this can, this product because. It's hard. You got you to gotta put it on. And we had that um, uh, Mason from Adidas. We actually talked about that uh, a few, uh, like six it's months 30, ago. I think yeah. he had an interview. Yeah. And he talked about how hard it is to create a last, to get players to get into certain shoes. And that's a big part of their job. And, you know, they've become more natural fitting when wider overall, but it just comes down to trying them on. And I and to, again, from a consumer perspective, a shoe company straight up told me they don't sell that many wide shoes, so they don't offer that many SKUs.
0: I love that you guys get options. I, I'm like anywhere from like a 14 to a 15, depending on the, <laughs> I just get, it. it's pretty much like
1: whatever I, uh, whatever I get, that's, I, I can't, can't really complain. I'm right in the wheelhouse. I don't have fled, Fred Flintstone feet or giant feet. I'm like 11 and a half, just standard, medium, whatever you want to call it. So I, I have plenty of
0: options. Fred Flintstone feet. Oh man. Okay. All right. So that, I think that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Fulico Potline. Hotline. Again, leave us a voicemail, 602-935-4974. And with that, let's get into this week's interview. I did basically like a speed dating session where I interviewed like kind of almost rapid fire, like one right after the other. Started with Ricky Fowler, then went and interviewed Gary Woodland and finished up with Justin Suh. They are all cover staffers. I was at an event for the new dark speed that we've discussed. If you want to check out, uh, for those that are curious about the new dark speed line, go look at our YouTube page, the Fully Cup golf YouTube page. We have a robotic insights video that's pretty cool. Talks a lot about all the new things that the new dark speed lineup is doing. And in this interview or the three interviews, we talked dark speed testing, uh, talked a little Kansas Jayhawks basketball, with uh with mr woodland nice fun interview enjoy it
5: ricky how you doing man good just hanging luckily
0: we're uh we're dry out here right yeah now. dry Thanks. and a little bit cold uh all right dark speed i know you mentioned you're just getting into it now but i've got a gear podcast so i want to know what were the things that were kind of keeping you from from getting into it before now
5: uh well i had a couple other heads that i tried in in tournament play um First one, tried at Tiger's event after a couple rounds of testing. Um, you know, close, but, um, you know, we'd see some some drives come out that didn't really feel like that. So then you make start making some questionable swings. So went back to the drawing board, um, did some more testing, had another one in it, Amex. Um, was close, same thing, still just had a couple, you know, ones that... Didn't feel like they they flew a little bit different how they felt. So did another round of testing, and that's where we're at now. Um, and feel like we're in a pretty solid spot. Um, I feel like we're in a better spot now than I was with Aerojet. Um, and that's
0: Which is saying a lot because you, you had a hell of a year with, with Aerojet.
5: Yeah, so, I mean, you know, to, to go back through our drivers, you know, F9, Aerojet were, were probably my two favorite. So now being where we're at with dark speed, um, like I said, it took a little more work than I wanted to, but um, ultimately it, I feel like we're in a better spot than before. So, yeah, saying a lot, and I feel like, um, you know, between this week and next week, be some some good tests with it because really you're not going to get real testing done until you put it under the gun. Right. And so, you know, that's part of it. Um, I do, like I said, got a lot of belief in this one, but I and I, I still feel like we can week and and mess with it a little bit to see you know how much better we can make it from here too. What's up with the lines on the face?
0: I saw them recently is it just just to kind of frame the ball or?
5: Yeah a little bit I mean alignment um, but also it helps kind of see the face angle too um, before before going up to 9.5 um, was in 8.5 because that's where I was with Aerojet and a lot of my past drivers um, with the matte and similar color to the face um, it was it looked like there was less loft than there was, so um, visual is a big part as well for players. You start to react to how something looks. Um, if it looks closed or open, you'll you'll react to that. So, um, one going up in loft uh, and maintaining the same speed and spin characteristics, um, and then using at first it was sharpie you now I have laser etched lines, um, but yeah, just helps helps me see face face angle and ultimately you know they're primarily for alignment.
0: I know you've got a, a new 3D-printed Cobra King wedge in the bag. What What's the process been like on, on working that, and, and what were you looking for when you started the process of making this wedge? Uh,
5: well, it started, well, not the 3D part, um, but that wedge and that grind started about a year ago. Uh, we finally got, we have been working on stuff and trying to dial in kind of all aspects from leading edge to, you know, full shots to having the wedge open and not bouncing but sliding and properly and got to a really good spot last year at RIV um, tried to you know hand make some other ones after that um, by you know grinding soles and getting them close and we were able to get them close but none of them ever felt exactly the same. Um, and so then after the playoffs, uh, Ben took my wedge back and scanned it and created a basically a CAD file, and then they were able to 3D print heads from there. And that made it a lot easier to get a lot closer, leaving some area to you know, touch up the leading edge or a few areas if we wanted to. Uh, but that just made it a lot easier to duplicate the wedge. And uh, here we are. I think Gary's got one in play too. So. I was going to say he does, yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: so the last year around this i guess around this time you went to the king tour irons and you've you've been a blade guy i mean up until that point for most of your career a year later what would you say is been the biggest benefit of those irons that you've seen through all those rounds
5: uh biggest thing is forgiveness um so i tested when those first when i had them first available to me uh the first uh sets came in it was September, uh, about almost a year and a half ago now. And I went out, hit the Blades and CBs and the King Tours. And they really had a lot of basically the same characteristics. Um, you know, really, I mean, flight and spin is, is what we look at. You know, having consistent spin and it being in the right window. Um, I felt like I was able to flight these a little bit better when I wanted to, partly with the sole and, and how they react through the turf. Um, But with that, they were just more forgiving. I felt like hitting it a groove low or a touch heavy, the ball still was carrying a lot closer to my number. uh, Versus, you know, on blades, it's a bit more of a fine line. So same characteristics, and there's a bigger sweet spot, so why make it harder on yourself? Yeah, I love hearing that. i got to ask you about the putter. Because, I mean,
0: you started using it, and it felt like everybody and their mom started using this putter. And it wasn't just that that versus Jailbird, but it was the fact that you were using your identical build. Were you were you surprised by how many guys just started adopting the putter that you
5: were using? And do you feel like you, you should get a little bit of some royalties for, for all the guys that are using this putter? <laughs> uh, I mean, no, I mean, I, I, I did all right on course to, to take care of my, my royalties with some good play. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I was just doing, you know, ultimately we're all trying to, to get better and, you know, when it comes to putting, make more putts doesn't matter you know what it looks like and for me it was it was something that I felt like I just started it online Um, and that's one of the kind of three key elements to potting I mean you got you know the read and then speed and then obviously you have to be able to start it where you're looking so I felt like that simplified it a little bit Um, I was just starting it online a lot more consistently so um, yeah it was you know, I did it for me and then uh, it, and was, everybody it was, else yeah, it was pretty <laughs> crazy to see how many people, you know, tried it to put it in play. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, everyone's always trying to get better. If it's, you know, something like that that helps you or frees you up, whether it's on the green or, you know, trying someone's wedge, you know, it's you don't want to tinker too much, but it's it's worth trying things to see if, uh, you know, something might be better out there.
0: Last one for you. You've been with Cobra, Cobra Puma for over a decade. Um, what was it that initially drew you in to Cobra, to Cobra Puma when you first signed with them, and is it the same thing that that's kind of kept you loyal to them over the years, or has that changed?
5: No, it's, I mean, pretty much been the same. I mean, it was originally just Puma. Um, you know, I signed with them in 2009 when I turned pro, and you know, liked that it was, you know, wasn't like there was a bunch of guys wearing it. It was gonna, in a way, be, Kind of my my own thing, um, as far as being a part of a small group, not a you know bunch of guys or anything like that. And then Cobra came on. I think it was 2012 when I um, started playing Cobra equipment. Um, and yeah, it's like uh, being a part of a small family. I mean, obviously they're they're a big company. They're they have a, a decent market share in the space, but um, you know it has a small family feel. And you know we're all super close. And then with having a smaller group of guys that are on the Professional level, we we get to give our feedback and input on new stuff, and um, you know Ben's obviously amazing on the the tour side of things as well as James. You know, we're able to see our input come into new stuff, and then whether it be prototypes or trying stuff, you know they 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 care about us, and uh, we we definitely see it and appreciate it. And like I said, it's we're all in it together, and it's like uh, being a part of a, a small family. It's awesome, Ricky. Thanks for the time and good luck this week in Phoenix. Thank you.
4: Gary, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's nice to be back out. It's nice to come back to this place where I've had some great success. I've had some good memories here. Um, it's always nice to come back here. And it's just good to see you, yeah, to you. back out on tour. I appreciate that.
0: So I was talking to Cobra Tour at Ben Showman. Yeah. And he mentioned you, you picked up some serious speed I have. since you returned. So yeah. two, two questions here. One, how do I get some of that? Yeah. And, and two, <laughs> when you're gaining – that much speed does it require you to change any of your build specs loft anything like that when you're adding a new cobra dark speed driver to the back yeah the
4: the best thing for me with the dark speed is the adjustability we've been able to adjust the weighting in the bottom with you know you have three weights down there you can move around now so we're able to get the ball flight etc we want it looks phenomenal it's clean on top which is nice but i've gone up in loft i've i've my whole career i mean i've lived right around seven to seven and a half degrees a lot i'm at eight and a half the most i've ever been in my real career which is and my speed's up which is crazy to think i can go up in loft and my speed's still up my spins down it's been amazing the head so now it's with my speed going up we've got to find the right shaft because as my speed has gone down we've changed shafts and changed tippings now i'm going back we've just put it in this week i'm going back to a shaft that i've played there for when i was playing really well in 2017 18 19. Um, shaft I've had success with um and we're going back to that this week which I'm excited about. I needed playing I played obviously two weeks with this now my speed just gets up when the adrenaline gets going I and I I get a little bit more lag so we're trying to find something that's a little
0: stiffer um throughout the throughout the shaft and this one I'm going back to I'm excited about so I know you and Rick both have these 3D printed wedges in the bag what what's the process been like for you working with the guys over at Cobra on this wedge, what were you looking for in it? And and what does 3D printing a wedge allow you to get that you maybe wouldn't get from like a standard wedge? My
4: process was really easy. I saw Ricky chipping with it and I went and (laughs) said, let me hit a couple chips. And I'm like, I need this. That was my (laughs) process. Literally, I think from a club standpoint, if anybody I've met or anybody out here on tour, I think Ricky knows more than anybody I really do. And so he had a lot of input into this wedge. And now you talk about 3D printing, I change lob wedges a lot. I like to get fresh grooves I at least probably once once a month, I'm putting a new lob wedge in. So now that they're 3D printed, they're the same every time. It's just so I don't have to worry about going and grinding the heel, it's already done. Um, So that's been a huge part for me is getting more and more and not have to do anything to
0: them. They just come how how it's coming. So that part's been really cool. Yeah. So I always like looking through guys' bags and seeing like, what do you have that the others don't? You still play a pretty traditional four iron, man. I do. Yeah. Which, which is aspirational for, for those of us <laughs> out here that are playing, you know, fairway woods and hybrids. What is it for you that that keeps that club in the bag versus like trying to throw a like a five wood or you know seven woods are starting to kind of become yeah, more popular. I, and I do put
4: a seven wood in depending on the week. I'll put a seven wood in. But for me, it's the feel. I love the feel of four and I had the speed to get it up in the air. Um, you know, there are some times where having a little something more cavity back or something bigger down there has helped. Would help some miss hits when it gets cold out. My body's not moving as well, but I just like the traditional look of looking down and seeing that blade. Um, I've played it my whole life, and uh, fortunately, like I said, I have the speed to get it back up in the
0: air. When you're testing, I mean, launch monitors nowadays—they're ubiquitous. Crazy. I mean, they're yeah. everywhere. How how do you weight like the numbers you're seeing on a launch monitor versus like what you're seeing and feeling? The things that you can't see on a launch monitor, like how do you weight those to determine like yes, this is a better golf club and it's worth it for me to change.
4: Yeah, for me, I like to get out on the golf course. Like, you know, Obviously, with the crazy launch monitors now, you can bring them out there with yep. you, but I, for me standing on a range that's so wide, I can sit there, you give me five balls, I'm gonna figure it out. Getting out on a golf course when you only have one shot, now, okay, is my speed still up when I have to hit this shot? And if it's not, what is it doing? And then we can make some adjustments. So, Ben's been amazing with that. I worked with Ben for a long time, even before I was with Cobra, so Ben's been amazing. He knows what I like to see. So he's walking with me this week and we have a launch monitor out there and looking to what we're seeing is adding up to what it, the numbers are and that's been
0: that's been a big adjustment you play with a lot of amateurs and pro amps yeah. what's the the biggest thing that they do wrong when it comes to their gear where it's like if you could go over and tell them like hey look like stop you, trying to swing so hard they're yeah. all trying
4: to hit it far everyone wants to hit it far at school but when you're swinging that hard and somebody that doesn't do it every day they're not hitting the center of the face and they're yeah. hitting it all over yeah. the map club up, quit, quit trying to club down, quit trying to hit it so far. But that's the big and you know, for, for the most part, they aren't getting fitted. So the equipment doesn't match what they're doing. It doesn't match their golf swing. So that must be the big deal I'd say is go get fit and go
0: find something that matches how you're swinging. Two more for you. I'm curious, did you keep any of the gear from your US Open win? Is do you any like mementos or anything to just kind of remember it?
4: I have the clubs and okay. The, I do, and the lob wedge I hit on 17 off the green still has the. I, have, I had that time. I had a big red red mark on the ball. It still has the mark on the club, and I hadn't hit it since. So I um, I have that in the bag at home. I have the irons at home. I have the three wood. I I still played the three wood, and I smashed the face at the British Open that year. Ball went through the face and cracked, but I still have the head, um, and I have the bag, and I have all the stuff that was in the bag at that time. And it's still in the bag which is school.
0: All right, I'm a huge college basketball fan, so I got to know how are the Jayhawks going to do? How McCullough they can send Adams. Like they got, they got a deep team. But what do you think? <laughs> they are
4: in the the, adir- the addition now of the freshman Johnny Furphy's, Furphy has been amazing. He's been great since he's been in. I went to the game Saturday. They were underdogs for the second time in Bill Self's career at KU in over 20 years. They played the best game of the year. They looked unbelievable. And then they lost last night. <laughs> I was like not going to bring game. that up. Worst game of the year. <laughs> they got a trap game because they have game day this weekend uh, against Baylor. But they can beat anybody. I think they've had four top five wins this year already but they can lose to anybody too. So it's an adjustment. They only have three guys back from last year's team. There's a lot of new guys. they are still getting used to it, but the Big 12 is a gauntlet. Any night, you can get B, especially on the road. So I think by the end of the year, with Furby coming in and shooting the ball, it spreads the floor out. um, I think they'll be all right.
0: Awesome. Gary, thanks for time, man.
6: Good luck this week. Good to
4: see you, bro. All
0: right, Justin, man, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just a little cold in Arizona, which is unusual. Yeah, very unusual for this time of the year. All right, let's talk Cobra Dark Speed. Okay. You were, you were an LTD guy. Yeah. And it's funny because we actually at Golf.com run robotic testing that okay. found out. like That's one of the, the unicorn driver. Mm. It was an incredible driver, yeah. so not surprising that you were using it. But what was it for you about Dark Speed that, that sold you on the product and, and made you feel like it was a better version than what you were playing?
6: Yeah, you're right. The LTDX was kind of that unicorn driver because I've had it in the bag for a while. Um, but this one, like the Dark Speed, it's not – as far as looks go, there wasn't much – Different. It's almost better because it's got a cleaner face, um, and that's kind of the traditional look is always what I like. Um, so when I first saw it and saw it set it down, it was <coughs> it was kind of like that aha moment where I was like, oh, finally, like there's something out there that looks like this, where it's like clean, symmetrical, and I like having a driver when you set down, it doesn't move, yeah. it sets in place, it kind of aims for you, um, and that's kind of what I was excited about initially.
0: Cosmetics are so important. Yeah, I feel like some people, it's like if performance is good, I don't care so much about cosmetics. Others, mm. others are like, hey, look, if I put it down, it doesn't look great. Yeah, I, I'm not going to even try and hit it. Where Where do you fall on like the overall cosmetics of a driver? How important is that to you when you're when you're doing testing or initial testing?
6: It's very important because for me, like visual is everything in my golf swing, like what I, I like always kind of explained a little blur in my swing, um, and for me to kind of see that with a clean black face, it. It's pretty spot on. Like I couldn't ask for a
0: better better face to look at when I set it down. I was told you have two 3-irons in the bag. Uh-huh. I was talking to Ben Showman trying to get a little intel yeah, on yeah. you. Um, one's got a graphite shaft, correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. When did you start going with, with two 3-irons, and do you, do you play uh-huh. rounds with them, or is it more kind of situational which one you use? No,
6: those are set in the bag. Um, I've done that for quite a while, actually. Um, One's actually a two iron, so the graphite shaft is a three iron where I can get a little more height off the ground, like on a part five if I need it, but the two iron is kind of what I mostly hit off the tee. Um, With a steel shaft, I feel like I can swing really hard at it and it's still is stable. Um, I'm not looking for too much height with
0: that two iron. Before you turned pro, were you, were you using a similar setup, or is that something that you kind of happened? Really? Very similar. So I've never been a hybrid guy. Um, hybrids are really hard for me to hit. We're, we're, we're going to get into this. Don't okay. worry. Okay. <laughs> uh, ben also mentioned to me that he's been working with you on a 5-wood.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the 5-wood is <laughs> something I'm trying to work out a little bit for specific courses. Um, throughout the year, I'm always going to have that 2-iron in the bag. But 5-wood could be an option when there's a lot of part 5s that require that number. Um, for me, it's it's really awkward to see something that goes two forty where I'm used to being if flat come out. In a completely That's what he was mentioning. Window. He's yeah. like, he
0: was asking, he was telling me, he's like, man, Justin was like, dude, is this supposed to go that high? Yeah, and be like, I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> well,
6: I have no idea. That's like the normal height for a five yeah. one. So I don't know. I think it's just something I have to get used to um, practicing and seeing in some like you know at home sessions yeah
0: what is it about the like fairways and hybrids that really hasn't suited your eye in the past
6: um the hybrids have always kind of if i catch it on the toe they kind of turn over a little too much and if i miss it off center they just spin like a little on the heel or low in the face they'll spin too much um whereas a two iron i know like it'll get to a number um in the way i hit it so i can feel pretty confident
0: hitting numbers with that i was looking at your wedge setup Mm mm-hmm and I, you're a 52 and a 58 guy. Yeah. Typically, I, if, I mean, I spent a lot of time out on tour peeking in guys' bags. Mm-hmm. Four degrees kind of between wedges seems to be pretty common. Yeah. The only other guy I remember with six was Dustin Johnson using okay. like a 52, 58 or 52, 60. Yeah. What's your reasoning between going 52, 58 versus kind of adding an extra wedge in there?
6: I just always had that in the bag, so that's just kind of what I grew up with. Um, and I have practiced enough of those numbers between like that – 85 to 130 range um where i have feels and swings that can hit every like i go like kind of increments of five so like 90 95 100 and 105 um just that setup i'm just i'm just
0: really comfortable with hitting those numbers i gotta ask you about your nike
6: your nike butter yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> i
0: mean I, you smile because i'm sure you get a lot of questions uh, about sure. it i've heard you've had it in the bag since middle school like uh, eighth like grade Eighth
6: grade, around there.
0: Okay, yeah. so what, yeah. what's the what's the origin story here with with this putter? That
6: um, I remember, I broke my putter before that. I had like a midnight Nike method um, at a junior event, and I went to the shop and just it was like fifty bucks sale, and I just grabbed it, rolled a couple of putts on the practice screen, shot sixty
0: six the next day, and uh, it stayed in the bag ever since. Yeah. So last one for you, Ben Showman, James Posey, the Cobra Tour wraps yeah. out here. How important is it to have guys like that? I mean, it's. I know it's important to have an entire staff, guys mm-hmm. out here helping you in all different areas, but how, how important is it to have those two guys in your corner helping you with gear week in and week out when you're out here?
6: It's immense because I don't know too much about, like, products and stuff. Um, so when we do testing, it's almost like I'm just being fed these equipment that they are, like, confident will work for me. Um so for me to like kind of rely on them to know what I want, um, it's my job to communicate kind of like what ball shape, what I want to see, and then it's their job to kind of fit the equipment for me. Uh, and there goes there's a lot of trust in that in that little interaction because uh, obviously like. Because I don't know what I'm doing, I need them to know what they're doing. So you, so you, you're telling me you're not a gearhead. I'm not a gearhead. No, <laughs> no, no. I usually just ask him like, oh, this feel uh, like does this feel good? And then, well,
0: they'll ask me, does this feel good? And I'm just giving them feedback on it. I guess that kind of leads me to one more question, actually, which is when you're testing. Launch monitors are so important nowadays. Yep. I mean, they're everywhere. How do you kind of weight the launch monitor numbers that you're seeing versus like your feels, what you're what you're feeling and seeing if you're trying to determine if you're going to put a new club in play? Like, what's what's more important to you? I'll
6: probably go more feel of what I see first, and then see if the numbers match up. Um, I usually with a driver just kind of look at the spin rate and and launch angle, um, and then if it's doing what I want it to do as far as kind of the ball shape. Like, I like a little cut. Uh, or like a little push cut. So if it's doing that, then it's kind of kind of the few things I need to know for it to be in the bag. Justin, thanks so much, man. Good luck this week. Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: And thanks again to Ricky, Gary, and Justin for the time. That'll do it for episode 227 of Fully Equipped. If you want more gear goodness from us, check us out on our social channels. We are at Equipped on Twitter and at FullyEquippedGolf on Instagram and YouTube. Thanks all for listening. See you next week.